We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen here, as always, with John McKechnie. It is Wednesday, October 30th. It is Halloween Eve. And John, the Wisconsin Badgers suck. They are bad. <laughs> no. Um, things went about as expected on Saturday. Um, at least at least this time around, you know, I wasn't expecting like a 40-point win and then uh, got handed a loss. But... This one was, I wouldn't say it was over in the first half. I thought Wisconsin played horribly in the first half. The defense held up all right. It was 10 nothing. You kind of felt like, all right, if they can come out and score on this first drive, you know, put some pressure on Ohio State, get a stop, all of a sudden you're right back in it. Yep. Suffice it to say that is not what happened. Ended up being a 38-7 to romp. Jack Cohn barely topped 100 yards. Um, not a great weather day. You know, Justin Fields didn't exactly light the world on fire either. But you would think, historically, these type of games, if it's pouring rain, if it's a little chilly, um, and, you know, th- these are the type of games that Wisconsin almost wants against a, a superior opponent in Ohio State. 
and it did not matter. Ohio State ran the ball 50 times, over 250 yards. Wisconsin ran the ball 34 times and got to 83 yards. It's, the, a, it's almost like Ohio State out Wisconsin to they Wisconsin. Did. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin has, they are who we thought they were once again. Um, it's They just kind of invent new ways to trick their ever-loyal fan base into believing Jonathan Taylor is firmly out of the Heisman race at this point. Um, I, I, you know, not necessarily his fault going against the defense that was just ready for Wisconsin in every possible way. Yeah, they, they were just, they weren't going to let Jonathan Taylor beat them. They're, no. They were, they were going to take they him out and they were going to see what, what else Wisconsin yep. had in the bag. Obviously, it wasn't really a whole lot, a whole lot of clubs <laughs> it was almost in that nothing, bag. Yeah, yeah they, they rolled out there with the driver and a putter, and they tried to play, and it yeah, just didn't it was, go well. It was like when you open a bag of Sun Chips, and it, it seems like it should be full. There's some pressure in the bag, and then you open it, and there's like you know, an inch and a half of chips basically <laughs> at the bottom. And that's kind of what Wisconsin brought in its bag to Columbus. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this Wisconsin offensive line, it feels like two years in a row, has kind of been exposed after... I think last year especially, they got the SI cover, and pretty much immediately it was clear that they weren't quite that good. These were, guys eat at Red Robin. They, yeah, right? Like, what? who could ever imagine that? Who could afford that? <sighs> and now you bring back a lot of that crew, and it's kind of the same story. When, when the competition level ticks up, or, or even when it ticks down, I guess, against Illinois, um, just unable to come through. And like I said, I think Jonathan Taylor for Heisman is officially dead. Um, really disappointing last couple of weeks from him. I mean, again, not necessarily his fault this past week but i thought he was really bad against illinois had a, a costly fumble in that game and you know there's a lot of blame to be spread around and, and certainly he needs to be included but i think overall this was more about the ohio state defense or at least that was the story coming out of this game and it, it does feel like while well, one heisman campaign may have died that all of a sudden there's some some serious chase young heisman buzz and i, I think oklahoma losing which we'll get to um you know maybe knocks jalen hurts down a little bit obviously trevor lawrence has struggled Tua is hurt uh, you know, Joe Burrow kind of keeps chugging along, but the way that it's kind of broken for some of these other top candidates, um, I don't think Chase Young will win it. It's it's extremely difficult for a defensive player to do it, but um, things are kind of breaking that way for him to at least be maybe be in the conversation over these last few weeks. I mean, if Jabril Peppers with like basically no stats can make it to New York, <laughs> Chase Young definitely like Jabril Peppers literally rode his recruiting profile all the way yeah. to the Heisman final. He still rides his recruiting profile. Yeah, yes, it is insane. Whereas Chase Young. And his name, too. Jamil Peppers helps. If his name was like Rick Smith, I don't think he would have been in the Heisman Yeah, that that is pretty cool. Um, But Chase Young, Maryland native from DeMatha Catholic High School. Uh, So I've known about this fellow for for some time. And, man, he's just like what uh, I think Mark D'Antonio said. I haven't thought of him in the human context before. I mean, the dude is an alien. I mean, this is like I tweeted out on Saturday. This is what like Pete Clowney looked like in college, basically, and maybe even better, which is crazy yeah. to think the about. The blonde I mean, dreadlocks are so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't. I, Wearing I was, number two. I was two. basically rooting for this guy by the end of the game. Like once it got out of hand, I was like, "Yeah, go get four or five sacks. Why he not?" Just, he like the his, he just doesn't make any sense. Like he's so like big and like long, but so strong at the same time. Like he can just mm-hmm. physically dominate these like big Wisconsin offensive linemen with, with like just sheer like sheer yeah. brute force. And he's got like an insane amount of like pass rush moves. I know the scouting guys are already going nuts about him and like already basically saying uh, the Dolphins should just trade out of the number one spot if they want a quarterback because Chase Young is mm-hmm. the best player in the draft or best draft eligible player. And yeah, it's it's hard to disagree. I mean, the guy is just out of this world and like you said uh, with the way that the other chips are falling across the Heisman race I think there's definitely a possibility where Chase Young ends up as a finalist 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's certainly going to be deserving. I mean, it, it's tough to say what what he needs to do the rest of the way. You know, I, I think, unfortunately for him, it's, it's probably not fair. He just needs to keep getting sacks. You know, like he he can be disruptive and Ohio State can keep winning games. But if he only, you know, if he only gets maybe one sack a game the rest of the way, which is a great season, that's probably not enough. Well, if, if he can just be like Jabril Peppers and they just like convince the coach when they're up 40 to let, like, let yeah. him play a snap at safety <laughs> or something. Look how many possessions oh, he I, played. The first I think the other way around. Let him like, he's now the goal line back. Yes. He's now the tight end <laughs> that when you run, like when you run the obvious play action play that always results in a touchdown that everybody runs at every level, he's the guy who leaks out for the catch. Yes. Uh, automatically falls down and still hangs on. That seems to be how that always goes. Yeah, we need that. Right. I mean, I've been through this on NCAA football for for Xbox so many times when you're trying to get your defensive star the Heisman the only real way to do that is to get him some touches on offense and uh, I think that you know the way that this sets up the rest of the way Ohio State's got some more big games coming yep if if they do that if he has like an iconic play against Michigan or Penn State here in the coming weeks here we go (laughs) god oh my god they do have to play Rutgers still (laughs) he did what oh no Uh, oh it's gonna happen in that well the next two games are Maryland and Rutgers so he's going to have chances to continue to rack up um defensive statistics okay what if, one second what kind of sick humor does the big 10 schedule makers have where they make maryland play michigan and ohio state in back-to-back weeks that's Love just man. that's not Wisconsin right had to play illinois and ohio state back-to-back weeks it's, yeah, not, it's yeah. not a forgiving schedule hey, illinois is on a roll right now yeah. so making that loss that is not a team you want to play right now Mm-mm. Yeah, so Chase Young is really good. I mean, that I, I think a lot of people knew about that already, college football heads. But I think this was kind of the national coming out party. Definitely. Um, you know, I think if you're just kind of a casual observer, you know, if you follow the the if you follow college football for the draft, you knew about Chase Young. But yeah, it, it seems like uh, I, I don't know if I can really remember a defensive player vaulting himself into the conversation like this. You know, usually it's kind of a you know a pepper situation where everybody was aware the year year before and like he kind of has the name recognition and you know all of a sudden you just fast forward to december and he's just in new york for some reason whereas everybody knew chase young was good but i don't think anyone was saying hey this guy might might be a legitimate heisman contender back you know back in august yeah and you know you makes you wonder a little bit I know a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how funny it was that uh, the the Big Ten Friday game in Ohio State having to play on a Friday, but it got bumped to Big Ten Network because of uh, baseball and wrestling, yep. you know, where the whole wrestling. point of that game is supposed to be national spotlight. Chase Young dominated Northwestern in that yep. game, too. So so maybe th- th- we could have known this was coming a little bit more had that game been on like the national stage. But mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, the people in the know have been waiting for this here. And, and like you said, um, the the single game vaulting into the Heisman campaign from a defensive player is pretty rare, and, and yep. I think we're seeing it here. So we had a shakeup in the top twenty five. LSU has vaulted Alabama. They are now number one. Alabama's number two. Ohio State three. Clemson four. And Penn State, an undefeated Penn State team, they are number five. You have written here on our our little document: Is Ohio State the best team in the country? I don't know that we can definitively say. Yes or no? I you know I think you can make the same case for LSU or Alabama. They are firmly in that discussion. Not not that that was news to anyone, but I, I think this firmly you know plants them in there. We're going to see you know in, in three weeks when they play Penn State and Michigan back to back. You know I think you're much more concerned about the Penn State leg of that uh, than the Michigan leg right now. But that's going to kind of ultimately tell us. But 
I've seen no reason for Ohio State not to be in that same tier with LSU and Bama, even though those teams have had tougher schedules so far. Right. Yeah. The, so the the schedule is it doesn't quite measure up, but Ohio State, the way that they've just kind of laid waste to everybody, and they've done it with on both sides of the ball. Like yep. the the numbers love their defense, and their offense is you know it's only going to get better from here. The the more that Justin Fields is is playing and getting live reps, and it looks like uh, J.K. Dobbins has kind of. Uh, reverted to his freshman type Uh, last year was kind of a disappointing year from him but this year he's been uh, kind of a beast actually so that Ohio State has two guys wearing number two that are just absolutely lighting it up so um, there's just so much to it's such a complete team and it seems like Ryan Day just like has the you know his finger on the pulse of that team so well Um, so that that is a tough stretch it will be a very telling stretch going up against Penn State and then they have to go to Michigan and Michigan we'll get to Michigan here in a minute but I, I might have to like buy back in on on them but uh yeah Ohio State really really nasty I think it that's a clear top three Clemson sort of in the a tier of its own at four and then Penn State mm-hmm. a tier of its own at five and then then you go on to the one loss teams Clemson to me has almost again probably not fair to them but they've almost kind of played their way out of that top three they're still a a very firm number four they're a great team talent wise nobody you know can really stack up with them except for Alabama but they haven't been impressive whereas Ohio State has been impressive Mm -hmm. even if the schedule hasn't been great Uh, Penn State to me still a tiny bit of a gap in talent you know I think that'll close maybe in the coming years but you know they're they're a team that we we still kind of need to see it from them I guess and beating Ohio State is kind of the one way that they can really prove it this year um, so for them, I mean, their whole season kind of comes down to one game. It, it's really similar to how Wisconsin seasons have gone in recent years, yeah, yeah. where, you know, you just, is, they can look great for 11 or 12 games, but if you can't beat the one team that you need to beat, um, you know, your whole season is kind of a failure. Let's talk about Michigan, who played host to Notre Dame this weekend, 45-14, one of the bigger wins of the Harbaugh era, which, you know, when you start tallying those up, there really aren't that many. Um, but this was, you know, I, I was fairly high on Notre Dame. I, I know you kind of got a better look at them watching that whole Georgia game early on, but, um, you know, I thought Notre Dame played Georgia well in a really tough road environment and, you know, Georgia looking a little shaky these last couple of weeks, maybe took some of the luster off that game, but this was a really, really impressive game from Michigan. Um, passing game still concerns me to some degree. They had three passing touchdowns in this game, but Shea Patterson, you know, really, really still not looking comfortable. They're they're kind of trying to avoid the pass, it seems like, as much as they can. But 300-plus yards rushing against this Notre Dame defense. And this is a game that was 17 nothing at half, and, and Michigan really never looked back. Yeah, I mean, there is there is at one point and that's when uh the michigan fans uh hashtag not a good look were throwing towels onto the field after the notre dame touchdown because it it was it was kind of it happened because of a kind of ticky tack uh pass interference call but then michigan's or yeah uh was notre dame scores and then they needed that stop that that next drive and if they got a stop i think that it's a totally different game but michigan answered the bell that you know they've really fought their way off the off the ropes these last six quarters dating back to halftime of the penn state game and they've looked like a different team Mm -hmm. and i think this game when you think of notre dame michigan you do kind of think about bully ball and and the team that out physical is the other one the the other team that runs the ball better is the one that's going to come out on top and in this one you know 303 rushing yards compared for michigan compared to 47 for notre dame like that's not just a a, like a beating on the field that's like a a psychological thing that that notre dame is gonna have to wear until 2033 i think is the next time that they play yeah okay notre dame always has their schedule planned out like indefinitely yes they're, they're very meticulous in that sense um so yeah this is uh 
This was a statement for, from Michigan that really kind of getting up off the ropes. Mm-hmm. And I I like this. I think this Michigan team is going to be really tough to stop moving forward. I think that, um, you know, where I was perspective-wise like a week or two ago, how that Ohio State game was going to go. Now I at least give Michigan like a puncher's chance in that game. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a great point by you that you know, even though they lost the Penn State game a couple of weeks ago, they looked so much better in the second half and they were kind of able to roll that over to this game. And we've now seen you know their most complete six-quarter span in a while. And you look at the schedule coming up, they're at Maryland, should win that game, home against Michigan State, they'll be heavily favored there, at Indiana, another game they should win. They're number 14 in the country right now. You know, I, I don't think anyone is, is loading up on Michigan stock. You know, they're 6-2, and two, they've taken a couple tough losses, but there's a pretty good chance, you know, going forward that that ends up being a top 10 versus top 10 matchup against Ohio State on, on November 30th. I, yeah, I think so too, especially if the, the Indiana game is always tricky. Indiana is always good for uh, kind of jumping up and giving a scare to one of the more elite teams in the Big yep. Ten. So they'll have to, you know, be on their toes for that one. But if Michigan can continue to play this brand of football, they've kind of like had this found money guy in Hassan Haskins, who's been just running wild over the last couple of weeks. And we'll get to him in DFS because he's still really, really underpriced and has an awesome matchup this week. But yeah, they've found that one-two punch between him and Charbonnet, where Charbonnet is just like a a human fist that can just plow through. Um, So you like that combo of speed and power between the two of those guys. Uh, They still have a ridiculous receiving core. I just don't think that that game on Saturday night was any sort of condition where any sort of passing game in terms of like yardage and and making big chunk plays down the field was really possible, at least until the second half. I don't know if you saw the picture I tweeted out of Brian Kelly in full rain gear, all moist and disgruntled, but that's where he was. And I'd like to actually transition this what do you make of Notre Dame now? I mean, that is, that is a like Notre Dame. That is to me, like the Georgia loss to South Carolina made me question like the entirety of, of the Kirby smart regime and, and how the state of the program looks. I think Notre Dame after losing yep. like this on national TV to Michigan has to reconsider some things. I know that Brian Kelly has his haters among the Notre Dame faithful. Um, and I think that they are, pre- they probably have kind of been silenced to this point because Notre Dame has, you know, like it or not, whether you want to get rid of Brian Kelly or not going to the playoff last year and, and playing well up to this point in the season, yep. you couldn't really say a whole lot to say, get rid of Brian Kelly. Exactly. Now you probably can. They were playing for a national title not that long ago, much more recently than in a lot of schools that are kind of in their tier at the top. Um, I'm I'm most of the time for keeping coaches. I think you just invite more upheaval when you fire a coach. I and mean, we've kind of seen Michigan go through this cycle. And, you know, they were in a different position when they fired Lloyd Carr back in the day just because he was getting up there in age and you know he wasn't he wasn't going to be there another 10 years. You know, they kind of were in some ways just bringing about the inevitable early on. But, I mean, it really took them basically a full decade to find a new coach and you know now here we are questioning Jim Harbaugh maybe not so much this week as we were a week before but I think you just kind of invite yourself into this perpetual cycle of you know creates recruiting issues and it's just it's just really really hard and I I think the standard is set so high as we talked about on this podcast last week by teams like Alabama and Clemson that if you're a Notre Dame fan you see Nick Saban you know reeling off 12 and 1 13 and 0 seasons left and right and you say well we're recruiting close to that level why are we not doing that and you kind of rush to to find someone who you think can do it. And even if you think you make the home run higher like Michigan did with Harbaugh or like Texas did with Herman, it doesn't always come together right away. And I think you can just do more damage um, you know, by trying to, to overcorrect and, and hire a new coach where the question you usually have to ask yourself when it's a coaching hire 
in any sport is how much better can we do versus how much worse can we do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know Brian Kelly is kind of an abrasive guy in some ways, and that probably plays into this, but how much better can you really do if you're Notre Dame than making the playoff, playing for national titles, being a team that's perpetually in the mix? I think it could be a whole lot worse. I mean, before the Brian Kelly era, they were kind of that Michigan team yes, for a they, long time. They were exactly my or the point that you were making there. Like it, it they were a clown show as far as their yes. coaching stuff went. I mean, from Tyrone Willingham to Kent Bear, the interim to Charlie Weiss. I mean, it was just it was kind of mayhem. Uh, and Bob Davy too, uh, a little bit before Willingham. So like they they went through that identity crisis, and it took them like a full 10 years basically to get it, to get it figured out. So that, that is a yeah. good point about um, that. You got to take a real hard look at what you really expect from the program and how, how much is Brian Kelly actually falling short of it? And right. it, the answer is not really at all. Not, no, no. And, and you know, I mean, I, I think you'd like to beat Michigan, of course, based on where they were coming into that game, but Michigan talent wise is right there. You know, it's not, it's not like they went out and lost to Illinois or lost to Bowling Green. You know, they, they whooped them a couple of weeks ago. Unless you're hiring Urban Meyer, I, I just don't. I don't think you could do a whole lot better. You yep. Know? Um, let's talk about Oklahoma. This Folks. was a really fun game. Uh, as as a, a Jalen Hurts guy, it kind of it kind of hurt to see them lose. Got him. Uh, to to K State, they were literally like an inch away from recovering an onside kick and probably going down and scoring because they were going to get great field position. The way that that bounced and it, it turned out that it, it of course hit an Oklahoma player's leg that caused this bounce, but. Had it, you know, had that stood, they would have had the ball at like what the forty yard line. Yeah, they were moving. I mean, at that point, you knew that if they got the ball, they were going to score, and this game was probably going to OT. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma was probably going to win, but you know, the right call was made, and you know, Oklahoma, you know, ends up kind of, you know, they they fell behind early in this game. They kind of rushed to come back, and just when it looked like maybe they were going to, uh, the the clock just ran out on them. And you know, as you have noted here, this is. Yet another, you know, just kind of out of nowhere, unranked loss for a team that looked to just be completely rolling on its way to the playoff. Yes. And and I know that Kansas State can kind of ugly things up for teams. And that certainly would have been like, okay, if Oklahoma is going to blow this game, how does it happen? And it's like Kansas State sits on the ball, they get some turnovers um, in plus territory, and, and they make Oklahoma pay for it. And that that's what ended up happening. And Oklahoma just continues to have these kind of head scratching scratching losses the the one to iowa state from a couple of years ago still like just is like seared in my memory they were like 30 point favorites at home against the cyclones and they blew that one then the the 2015 game against a bad texas team they ended up making the playoffs both of those years actually but still like it, it you know if you're oklahoma how does this keep happening like i understand losing to good texas teams or, or good um you know other big big 12 squads but these these insane slip-ups i mean not that many other elite programs have it and i have a tweet pulled up from espn stats and info the sooners now have 16 losses to unranked opponents as a top five team which is fourth yeah that's in their history or uh yes in their history that's still a lot it's still way too many and uh the only teams with more are ohio state notre dame and usc so trash programs (laughs) obviously so i mean it it says a lot that they have that many games as a top five program and Mm -hmm. and all that but still the, the point remains here that they they do have a history of losing games that they shouldn't and now i think that especially in this year's climate it's going to cost them a playoff spot yeah yeah and most it, it, maybe not for sure i mean they kind of now join the ranks of georgia as you know kind of one of those one loss teams that is still going to be in the mix but now needs help um i mean if you're projecting it out right now you know you, you got to imagine one of lsu or alabama is making it, at least one if not both you know mm-hmm. there's a, a situation that sets up where they could certainly both make it i'm still penciling clemson in until further notice this yep. is 
like such an unimpressive run, but if they're undefeated, they're not going to be kept out. Um, you would think the Big Ten champ, whether it's um, you know whether it's Ohio State or Penn State, looking pretty likely that it'll be one of those two. You know that team probably gets in. Um, you know there is a scenario, I guess, where the Big Ten gets kept out again, where they they kind of beat each other up. But with the way it's shaping up, I think there's going to be you know a, a somewhat of a controversy brewing because I think we're going to have a lot of one loss teams that are going to be vying for like the third, fourth fifth six spots um you know if, if we were to have a 16 playoff of course but it's setting up for there to be a couple teams that i think will really think they have a case and they're going to be left out yes so i think they oklahoma absolutely needs to win out from here and, and yep. win convincingly kind of the way that they have uh for uh, from earlier in the season they need to hope that uh, the sec only has one representative i think if the sec gets two then that pretty much knocks out oklahoma yeah. um they got to hope that oregon slips up one more time because a one loss oregon team um you know the the pac-12 worse than the big 12 but at the same time if oregon's only loss is to a good auburn team mm-hmm. where in the, and they've won 12 straight games in in response to that whereas oklahoma's loss is, is comes to and at the time unranked k-state team then i think you probably put oregon's resume over oklahoma's so mm-hmm. i think that yeah as it stands as as we project things out here a little bit it looks like oklahoma very well could end up on the outside looking in is the nightmare scenario for a team like oklahoma um or maybe even like a one loss you know let's say ohio state loses to penn state or loses to michigan and then wins the big 10 is the nightmare situation the winner of alabama lsu loses the sec title game to georgia or florida and then maybe both of those teams get in you know like oh let's let's say alabama loses uh, i'm trying to work out the math and if this would even be possible you know because only one or alabama and lsu can't play for the sec title they're both in the west so only one of those teams is going and i think let's say alabama beats lsu and then loses to georgia would a one loss georgia with a win over alabama and a one loss alabama with a win over lsu would they would they both get in over one loss oklahoma whose loss comes to k-state yeah because basically that that question becomes does the does the loser of the sec championship game if it's on the west side um do they do they still manage to get in? And I think the answer is probably I think so yes. because if you're losing, you're probably going to be playing Florida or Georgia. And for those teams to be in the title game, they'll likely be ranked in the top six or seven. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be looked at as like a horrific upset loss. It would be a it would be a one loss team uh, that they would be facing off against. Yeah. And obviously, the the winner of the SEC will get in no matter right. what. So if it if yeah that. Oklahoma would really, really prefer it to j- for like the West to just take care of business. I think. Yeah, I think you want you, maybe you want LSU to beat Bama and then just roll the rest of the way. You know, maybe you want Florida or Georgia to take a loss just to completely knock them out. Um, but yeah, I, I think you you're rooting for the SEC West, one of those teams to just kind of roll the rest of the way, and then hopefully you sneak in as a four spot, assuming that Clemson and Ohio State get the other two. Right. Yeah. So that's that's how it it kind of needs to set up for for Oklahoma to really have any hope here. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so, some slippage from from the other one loss teams. Hope that they kind of pick each yep. other off. And then it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that Ohio State Penn State game will be huge because neither of them have have losses at, right. at this point. And the winner of that game gets to play in the Big Ten championship game. Right. I mean, you would th- you would think you would think so. Yeah, I mean the the Big Ten championship game has just been pretty lopsided most years, where you know it's basically Ohio State versus some inferior team because Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State are all in the East, and you know Wisconsin's basically dominated the West. You know the, the next best team in the West has probably been Iowa for 
basically the last decade. I mean, Nebraska has been a non-factor. You can kind of cross off Illinois, Purdue. You could cross off Minnesota until this year. Northwestern's had some nice runs, but but obviously they're done. They've scored 38 points the entire year through five games. It's an insane stat. (laughs) Oh my God. Are you Um, serious? That is true. But um, I mean, this year, there's a pretty good chance Minnesota is going to be representing the Big Ten West. I mean, Wisconsin is going to need or iowa is going to need minnesota to lose and then beat minnesota you know to get that tie break which which is possible but um it's looking pretty likely that whoever whichever of uh, ohio state and penn state makes the title game should have a fairly easy time as far as conference title games go um advancing past that i would say yeah whoever comes out of the east would be a double digit favorite against whoever comes out of the west uh, when it comes to the the big 10 championship minnesota plays penn state this week we'll find out you know i i what next week oh next week excuse me they have by this week they play penn state and then iowa so you know we'll find out very quickly if minnesota is for real or if this hot start which i i hate to admit it has been pretty impressive i mean the, the point totals that they're putting up even against bad teams are not what we've seen from minnesota at all recently they look like a completely different team it's, even it's from like, last year it's like the western michigan teams of, of you Us. know that they got fleck hired by by minnesota they can freaking throw that thing man i yeah. mean tanner morgan throwing it to rashad bateman and tyler johnson they're hucking the pigskin. they are really hucking it man and uh after this podcast i'm gonna get a envelope and a stamp and send in my bet slip for minnesota over seven and a half i'm gonna send it right into caesars after this <laughs> just mail it to them early yeah. Oh, because I mean, it's cash oh, now. No, it's good. Yeah, that's so. Hilarious. So that is, that's the only one that I, I've been able to cash yeah. thus far. I'm still waiting on a couple more to come in, but uh, you know, <laughs> just leave him a little note, like you know what to, you know what to do with yeah, this. Yeah, just send it, send it on. In. You know who Daddy is. All right, let's take a look at Week Ten before we get to DFS. A, a relatively uninspiring week. It seems like we've kind of gone every other this year, where there's one monster week and then kind of a a week where a lot of the top teams are on by or they have inferior competition. This is certainly one of those weeks. Um, I know you'll be watching Michigan-Maryland in the early window. Michigan's a 21-point road favorite. That feels light. That it does feel really light. feels light. Maryland has not uh, put up a, a huge fight this year. Um, arguably, like the second or third biggest game of the weekend is SMU at Memphis, two ranked teams. Uh, in that conference, we have Oregon, who's number seven now, very quietly number seven, going to USC no idea what's going to happen in this game this seems like a game that oregon should win they're only five and a half or four and a half point favorites excuse me at usc we've talked a lot about usc this is a team that can seemingly beat anyone on any given night Mm -hmm. um i I wouldn't pick them to win this game but they have found ways to if not win every game at least stay in every game yeah they're gonna hang with them um oregon great defensively but usc has just so many weapons on offense between Pittman, vaughn st brown uh they've been banged up in this in the backfield a little bit they probably aren't gonna need to they weren't gonna be able to run much on oregon anyway so it's gonna come down to slovis in this passing game going up against oregon that has a pretty Mm -hmm. stacked secondary but um, I, I think that, yeah, USC keeps this close. I think, you know, at first it's kind of shocking to see a number seventh ranked team going to an unranked team and being less than a touchdown favorite. Right. But I mean, here we are. And, you know, I kind of buy it. This is a, a scrappy uh, USC team. Uh, Oregon under Justin Herbert has, you know, had the penchant for, for occasional slip ups here against lesser teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, you know, <clears throat> shutting me up more and more as as this season has gone along. And CJ yep. Verdell looked incredible last week against Wazoo. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Oregon can play that similar style of, of run first and just be able to yep. knife USC that way. Um, so that, that does set up as one of the better yep. games of the weekend. I'm excited for that one. We barely touched on Oregon when discussing the national picture um, as far as the playoff is concerned. And this this might be kind of the final big test for them before the Pac-12 title game. They're home against Arizona um, on, on the 16th. 
Then they go at ASU and then close out at home against Oregon State. So maybe they get a fight from from Arizona State. But if they make it past this game, I think they're going to be one of those teams that we talk about that's going to be kind of be scoreboard watching from week to week and, and kind of hope they can slip in as that fourth team. Yeah, because yeah, because the, this does set up really well for them. I, I think Arizona State is kind of running out of gas um, for the most part. So I, I think that Oregon should mm-hmm. be able to take care of business there. Although. Arizona State has jumped up and upset people uh, before yeah. un- under. Well, this yeah, isn't the Rudy Herm. Carpenter Sun Devils. No, sir. This is this is Herm's team. But um, yeah, Oregon will be that that great variable where I feel like in the national like broader context of the of the college playoff discussion, people will know the least about. But you know, their resume will be really strong, um, and they they will have the the only one loss to a ranked team so everything will look really good but people just by virtue of and i hate to be like the the east coast bias guy but like i see that completely happening here where where oregon almost isn't taken seriously enough despite having a resume that's just as good or better than you know several of the other teams vying for that fourth spot yeah i mean for a lot of people i think the only time you saw oregon was blowing a lead against auburn in week one and they've, they've kind of just been in the background since then uh, I'll let you have the floor for Georgia, Florida, which is by far the headliner this week. Yeah, I'm I'm very nervous for this one. A good good friend of mine and and uh, avid listener to the podcast and I were we're having a discussion this morning. Uh, we're of the opinion that we will be shocked if Georgia wins this game. Uh, oh he 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 thinks shocked? that uh, that we're going to lose by three touchdowns. I don't know if it's going to be. You will be that shocked bad. that six and a half point road favorite Georgia wins this game. Yes. Uh, I think Florida's playing a better brand of football right now. I think Georgia's offense seems to be kind of stuck in the mud here. Um, I think it, it comes down to uh, can Georgia get anything out of its passing game without any make making any mistakes? Because going into that South Carolina game, I, I pointed out how I would like to see how this Georgia team responds to you know some attrition, some, some adversity, and the answer was poorly. Um, we only Georgia only had one sack allowed going into that game. They only have four allowed uh, as of this week, but three of those came against South Carolina, and we know what happened in that game. So if Fromm gets under pressure by this Florida defense, which ranks eighth in the country in sacks, they got 29 sacks in eight games. Um, if Florida's pass rush gets unleashed in a way that I, you know, I don't think they'll be able to knife through the way they did against like Miami or some of these other lesser offensive lines. Georgia does have a good offensive line, obviously. Whoever wins that matchup within this game, I think it will tilt the scales one way or the other. I think this will be a, a fairly close game, uh, one way or the other. Georgia's defense, I think, is really underrated. Um, and you know, I haven't been the rosiest guy on Georgia this year, but if there's been one constant from the Bulldogs this year, it's been the defense. They've been really lights out across the board. One problem though, and and we'll get into him when we talk about DFS is how the safeties can contain Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts got loose against LSU. Kyle Pitts, um, is a, is a really dynamic town, big, fast, tight end. So Cole Komet, not as big or athletic, athletically imposing or bigger, but not as athletic, Mm -hmm. um, as Pitts, he really had his way with this Georgia secondary. Georgia secondary a little bit shorthanded in that Notre Dame game. So if they're at full strength here, I think containing Pitts is going to be absolutely crucial. And then I think when it comes to this Florida offense, I don't. I'm not like blown away by their skill positions otherwise, and I'm not that blown away by Kyle Trask. But I think that the way that Dan Mullen has his offenses designed generally, with better pieces than what he had at, at Miss State, it is going to be a test for this Georgia defense. And I could see some, you know, kind of shot plays, some big plays deep down the field that can get Georgia on their heels. I think in the end, this one ends up being like 
Florida 31, Georgia 24. Uh, I would I would say that it that it ends up that way. So I'm definitely on if nothing else Florida covering this one. I, you and I I think think uh alike when it comes to our our teams like i would never predict wisconsin winning a big game ever in any sport or the jaguars or yeah i'm honestly becoming kind of a packers fan this year it's really disturbing i don't know what happened I've you've been, been to, going to the games i mean they're, I've they're been to so a, fun <laughs> i know I've, I've been to one jaguars game and, and a lot of packer games in my life and let me tell you the packer games are a little bit more fun uh the jaguars game was actually against the packers and it was basically a packers home game despite being a season opener in jacksonville <laughs> so i've really basically been to packers games everywhere home games um and the Jaguars, I mean, they're that's a whole separate podcast, but they're they're a little frisky. This is a loser leaves town game, I think, this week against the Texans in London. Stay for tuned for our Patreon pod about that one. Yeah, that's top tier Patreon subscribers only. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we forgot to mention, by the way, we lost our uh, Force Factor sponsorship. We lost we our Flex Tape sponsorship, but we are brought to you this week unofficially by tack glasses we're both wearing them right now i can see your skeleton it is red white and blue yeah that's how effective these tack glasses are i don't know if i'll ever be able to take them off and i think i've I've heard where a side effect where if you do take them off you do go blind so i guess we're just kind of be wearing these tack glasses for a while yeah every time you take your tack glasses off uh an illegal immigrant enters the country a lot of people don't realize that i was looking i was looking before i put them on before i put them on i was looking at my computer i had some notes now all I can see is a bald eagle and an American flag that appears to be kind of in a kaleidoscope type of situation. Like so that's what you Washington get with tack shredding on a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. If you have no idea what we're talking about, just Google the tack glasses infomercial <laughs> and uh, pull out your wallet because you're going to want to buy them. Folks. All right, let's get to the Week 10 DFS slate. As always, we'll go to DraftKings first and take a look at the quarterbacks. A Wake Forest quarterback is at the top of the list. Uh, there must be some sort of glitch on DraftKings. So please uh, inform the masses what's going on here. I think it, it it reflects what you're saying about the quality of this slate. I mean, we we have LSU and Bama on buys. We have Ohio State on a buy. Uh, Clemson's playing Wofford. Um, Penn State's on a buy. So it's it's slim pickings there. So that that kind of explains why Jamie Newman is the top quarterback on the board on the main slate. Uh, he would be like kind of deservedly so, and certainly uh, at a seventy six hundred dollar price tag, you really like that NC State's defense. Um, I kind of overrated them a couple weeks ago when they were going up to BC. They got uh, shredded in that game, if I remember correctly. The the big catch with Jamie Newman for this week, if he plays, he's been dealing with it with a shoulder injury, missed the last game. Uh, I think Wake was on a bye last week, um, so if he. If he's cleared to go, he will start. Uh, that that's what Dave Clawson's been saying. Dave Clawson, not the not a DFS player's best friend though. Um, he's really? burned, he's burned DFS players a couple times this year, especially I think it, our listeners will remember the the Wake Forest Wake Forest North Carolina Friday night game from earlier in the season where you know he says Cade Carney the starting running back is good to go and then he doesn't play a single snap so like the, that sort of like misinformation I know he, he's, he's not you know he's not obligated to do it but I mean if he could play it a little bit more straight up and, and, and let us know um, then that would be great but if Newman is unable to go uh, his backup is Sam Hartman um, he's a good player he was the one that actually beat out Newman heading into the 2018 season when he was a true freshman just 6900 so mm-hmm. if if we get if we get wind that he's going to be the guy um, I certainly like him at that price uh, moving down the board I like Ian Book as kind of a buying opportunity last week was just an impossible spot um, Michigan really just kind of 
devastated Notre Dame there and the weather obviously wasn't going to really help the passing game either um, Virginia Tech really bad on defense so I, I would imagine that Ian Book gets it back a little bit this week here and, and hopefully enough people were shook by what they saw last Saturday to where that they, they wouldn't think to use him this week but I, I think he's a fine enough play for DFS Dylan Gabriel really really interesting uh, 7500 the Central Florida quarterback um, Central Florida just burned temple to the ground last week like they they scored like 63 points on them it was just like a massacre from the start um so i expect similar things to houston houston could be a little bit deflated uh they've had a long week to kind of overcome or to digest that Mm -hmm. loss against smu that i think they kind of viewed as their super bowl so (laughs) i I mean that was their chance to knock off an undefeated smu at home and they didn't do it and they they were close um so i expect this houston team to be a little deflated and i think gabriel can take advantage of that and if you can hurt the Houston defense it's definitely through the air more so than on the ground so looking at that um, and then uh, rounding out like the 7,000 type guys Tyler Huntley at Washington I think he's dinged up uh, didn't play in the second half or played much in the second half last week Um, so I'm off of him plus going to Washington kind of tough to begin with Khalil Tate I don't know what Kevin Sumlin is doing he's like literally rotating quarterbacks between him and Grant Gannell cannot make up his mind Um, so that just you know the old adage if you have two quarterbacks you of none it really really works under Kevin Sumlin who's proven that time and time again from even his Texas A&M days just blowing it with Kyle Allen Kyle Kyler Murray even Kenny Trill uh just Kenny Trill I forgot about him where did he end up uh I don't know if he ever got his got a whiff of the NFL or not but like he had all his talent and he just completely mismanaged it doing it again at Arizona so he's he's basically the um the college football equivalent of like the monorail salesman from the Simpsons and I, I don't I'm not I'm not sure I care for it. Is there ever a two quarterback system that's worked? Like Leak and Tebow. That's, I can that's think the of, only but that one that was that like a ninety out. ten split. You yeah. know, it wasn't like they were trading off series. Yeah. So whatever whatever this is, it ain't working. Like no. it's it's not going to work. So <laughs> I I honestly think Oregon State could actually go into Arizona and and win that one. And then Spencer Sanders um, against TCU, I'd probably go with the quarterback on the other side of that one. I know that Sanders has some upside, but um, I. I'm just kind of off him uh, right now. So that kind of rounds out that, that upper tier at mm-hmm. quarterback. It's, it's kind of slim pickings up there. I think you can more more so attack the values here at, at quarterback this week, load up at the premier uh, running backs and receivers instead. Speaking of those values, we have not seen Adrian Martinez since week six, I want to say. Yeah, uh, he's I mean, been are you willing to trust him if he's if he's back against this vaunted Purdue defense? Yeah, if he's in, then I, I love Martinez this week. Um, but I think... We've seen Nebraska also be pretty coy with their injury stuff. Uh, Martinez yep. announced on the big on the big board at at Nebraska last week as the starter. Does not play a snap. Really, really cool move from Nebraska. Like to, in the stadium, they announced. Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> so really awesome stuff. Uh, Pitt, Pitt did that with Kenny Pickett earlier this year too. So. I don't think we'll ever ever get it. And you know, us being at Rotowire, where we care about this like more than ninety nine point nine percent of people. But the NBA this year made this big stink all off season about how. They're embracing fantasy and gambling. Starting lineups will be out a half hour before you know before tip, and the NBA will regulate this. Opening night comes, the Cavaliers lineup comes in five minutes after tip-off time. No way. So there's been no enforcement whatsoever. No, there's not been a peep from the league. There's not been a peep from anyone. I, just, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Oh gosh. So yeah, that they, they, they say like, hey, we're on your side, but yeah, they they don't actually enforce no. it when push comes to shove. So. I think coaches just don't care. You're never going to convince a coach that it's worth it for him to reveal his starting lineup. You know? Yeah, exactly. So uh, and obviously that that is very true in, in college football as well. So that that'll be a, 
tough situation, but if you can get Marti- if you if Martinez starts, then that would be awesome. Uh, but if Luke McCaffrey starts, then that's really awesome. I, I forget what his price is off the top of my head, but that guy is going to be a stud. And maybe he's the one that's the he's what Ad- we thought Adrian Martinez was going to be because he's really athletic, can run, um, and can throw. Looked great uh, last week, even in defeat. So I, I think Martina- Martinez. Or McCaffrey, whoever ends up starting, I do like for mm-hmm. for Nebraska this week. Um, and then uh, Jake Luton, uh, 6,400 going against Arizona. Arizona, just a, a bad defense overall. Um, so I, I think that there's a good shot there. And then Max Dugan, um, kind of my hero last week. Uh, shout out to our guy Trippin' B and uh, Burn on the Rotowire disc, college football Discord. They were like, yes. I'm like, half my lineups have Max Dugan. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take a gander at this. And you end up having this incredible game against Texas. And he, you know, for under 6K, the price is only up 500 bucks from, from a week ago. So I think this sets up extremely well for him this week going up against mm-hmm. Oklahoma State, a defense that I think is, you know, really, really poor. So I, I'm a big fan of Dugan for this week as well, rounding things out for the quarterbacks. Let's move to running back once again. The Chub Man, the Chub Man, up at number one. He is eighty three hundred dollars this week. The only player at running back priced above eight thousand seventy nine hundred. You can have Cam Akers. You have AJ Dillon at seventy eight hundred. Um, I guess it, I mean it's kind of the usual suspects up here. You know, Jonathan Taylor will every now and then make an appearance based on the slate, but Wisconsin is of course off this week. So uh, I guess talk me through the case for for Chuba acres and, and dylan at the top boy uh shout out to acres for last week he he was i think like just a couple yards short of of scoring a florida state record fifth touchdown in that game so he was absolutely just crushing it last week so that that was we identified that as like probably the play of the week and that, that really paid off nicely yeah. so that was great um I don't like him as much this week. He, you know, I think the the price increase would have been a lot higher if the defense he was going up against was worse. But Miami, for all of its warts this season, does have the best run defense in the ACC. Um, they are allowing like 14 points to opposing running backs. That's the best in the conference. So uh, as much as I love Acres, I think I will probably avoid using him uh, this week at 7,900. Uh, Chuba again, like he's just the volume is so crazy for him in terms of like the sheer workload he gets. Um, and they're they're at home going up against TCU. TCU coming off obviously an emotional win. I see Chuba doing fine in this game. I just don't know if I'll have that many shares of him. When for five hundred dollars less, I think the best running back play on the board is probably AJ Dillon. Um, again, you get to target that Syracuse defense the way that you did with Acres last week. Syracuse is just getting gashed week in, week out against opposing running backs. And AJ Dillon, um, I know that he didn't have the best game last week. It was against Syracuse, against teams that are more on level footing with BC. He's been seeing like routinely over twenty five carries. I expect that kind of workload this week. So love AJ Dillon um, at that at that. Really Really expensive price mm-hmm. tag still yet to see jv and dane get a single carry for boston college this year which yeah. is puzzling I don't we, know. we need aj Dillon to get out of the way here so ho- hopefully after this yeah. season he'll go pro Just, so so it can be dane time yeah, get the hell out of campus uh deandre swift 7400 going up against florida um based on your assessment of this game I, i'm going to assume that you're going to go a little bit light on swift this week I will have some swift just because i think that um earlier in the earlier in the season people were kind of 
peeved at, at Swift's uh, output, and that's mostly because Georgia was playing these cupcake teams and not really exposing him to more than like 10 carries per game. But since the Georgia season has kind of gotten underway here and, and they've gotten into the meat of their schedule, Swift has been seeing a really healthy workload, and he's been really good with it. He's averaging almost seven yards a carry once again, and he's a great pass catcher once again. So um, again, I don't think that Florida necessarily is great against the run. I think Florida's strength is in the secondary and in its pass rush. I think Georgia will probably endeavor to just ha- and I know it's like a you're not allowed to say establish the run anymore in 2019 but I think Georgia will probably try to establish the run with, with Swift I think that's the their path to getting mm-hmm. to gaining footing in this game so I expect Swift to have one of his heavier workloads of the season I think over the course of this game uh, he will get his um, and a, a Florida player also referred to him as average earlier this week so um, I, I'm sure that oh he will remember that how dare you? I, wow. I, I, I got really angry about it. I had to go walk. <laughs> go take a walk. So there are several UCF backs uh, priced all around the same uh, this week. One, why is that? And two, uh, please inform me on Adrian Killens, Otis Anderson, and Bentavius Thompson, which is, I mean, is this kind of like the the Florida version of um felix jones darren mcfadden peyton hillis it's pretty wild what what central florida has been able to do on the ground thus far this year none of these guys are that expensive um so like that that's just extra good here but uh when you when you look at killens uh he's a guy that's averaging almost eight yards a carry so he's been really impressive but he's been a little bit dinged up uh otis anderson has kind of taken charge uh, in recent weeks here um and you know last week he was great uh he's averaging 6.7 yards per carry and then bentavius thompson has been getting into the end zone with regularity he's only got 51 carries on the year but he's averaging almost eight yards per carry and he's got five touchdowns on those 50 rushes so um it's a it's a very deep rotation that central florida opts to go with and that's probably why their prices tend to be kept down i think greg mccray being injured kind of narrows the usage a little bit so it should be passed around between those three guys killens anderson and thompson they're all checking in at different price points none of them uh too expensive here so i like all of them at their given spots i'm still like the jury's still out for which one i'm gonna go the heaviest on i'll probably have an answer by the time i write my article on friday but i think at this time Anderson, Killens, and Thompson are all viable um, for this week. Zach Charbonnet of Michigan, um, re- pretty reasonably priced, I think, against Maryland, 5,800. Um, you know, a guy that got off to a strong start, had almost 200 yards in his first two games, had a huge workload against Army, and then went through that stretch, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Iowa, where he basically fell off, you know, did did do a little bit um you know the workload was still there but just you know really had three rough games in a row that I think might have thrown some people off the scent but over 100 yards against Illinois a few weeks ago had a touchdown in that game and now back-to-back games against pretty solid opponents in Penn State and Notre Dame where you know again the workload's been there 15 carries in each game hasn't gotten to 100 yards but does have two touchdowns uh, on the ground in each of those contests yeah so he seems to be that guy that that um they used to punch it in um so the the price again really not that bad 5800 i think he's gonna be really popular uh this week i think that the you know the the word is out on, on how bad maryland is i think we, we, you know for as awesome as september was for me um I, it's been a cold realization that the terrapins are what we thought they were and i think michigan is going to absolutely destroy them 
Uh, so you, you got to figure that Charbonnet probably keeps that multi-touchdown streak alive. The only question is, you know, does he get more than like the 15 carries? I think that we could see a more efficient outing from him. I think that he'll have an easier time picking up chunk yardage against Maryland. So 5,800, like him a lot. Just don't think that you're separating the field, separating yourself from the field too much by using him. Um, I think looking deeper into that backfield, Hassan Haskins at 4,000 is someone that I would consider because he's he's a big play threat. And I, th- I think that the way that he's rolling right now, it, it becomes a Charbonnet and Haskins show out of that Michigan backfield more than anything. And if if Michigan gets to like, you know, 48 points, I think that the, those two have most, if not all, uh, to do with it there. And I initially like Dred- Dedrick Mills on my first kind of go through of this slate, 5,400 going up against Purdue. But Wandale Robinson is more so the the threat there, but he's listed as, as a receiver. So we'll get to him in a second. Um, but yeah, Wandale Robinson would be the way to go. And, and I would probably fade off of, of Mills as a result because they don't have Maurice Washington. They're still trying to figure it out, but I think Robinson is that guy. All right, let's look at receivers. A uh, bit of a dry week uh, at the receiver position. Um, you do have Sage Surratt at $8,000 at the top. Um, kind of maybe pair him uh, with Newman for Wake Forest, but beyond that, uh, not a ton of inspiring options here. Yeah, it's it's an odd week once again, and, and you know when it comes to Surratt or, or Scotty Washington, uh, two two of the more expensive guys. Surratt the most expensive at, at eight thousand. Um, I think just the uncertainty about the quarterback situation at, at Wake Forest is going to drive down his ownership. At least for me, like I'm not going to actively t- or at least my first instinct is to not go at heavy after Surratt but maybe the fact that he is really expensive with that um with, with that uncertainty at quarterback if you can get Surratt at like less than 20 percent ownership in a, in a tournament going up against this NC State defense maybe that that is a nice way to separate yourself um, and, and get a guy who is an elite talent um, that might be a little bit undervalued this week so I think I'm actually talking myself into him a little bit there and Washington also sees a lot of targets as well so maybe that this Wake Forest passing game can keep things going um, Isaiah Hodgins just an absolute target monster 7700 going up um, against Arizona um, if you if you like Jake Luton as like your kind of cheap punt play at quarterback, then I think Hodgins uh, is like kind of necessary guy to pair him with um, in this matchup. Gabriel Davis is just going to be really hard to stay away from though because he's seventy six hundred, so he you know you're paying a lot for him, but going with him and um, and with Dylan Gabriel. It just feels like that that's going to be the backbone of most of my lineups going up against this Houston secondary that's, that is really, really bad, really apt to give up the big play. Um, so that's kind of the, the direction that I would go among these top guys. And then Tylen Wallace, you know, the K, you can always make the case for him that, you know, he's sort of like the wide receiver Chuba Hubbard. He's going to get his opportunities, but I think that there, there might just be more optimal, optimal ways of spending your money this week. Okay, let's look at FanDuel real quickly before we get into the real meat and potatoes of what we need to talk about. Um, any differences this week that are worth noting on this slate? Um, yes, so that one has the the uh, Memphis SMU game on it. Um, Memphis really, really strong against the pass, so I will probably be off of Shane Bouchelle and some of those pass catchers, whether it's James Prochet or Reggie Roberson. Reggie Roberson injured a little bit there, so uh, you'll have to keep an eye on that one as we get a little bit closer to Saturday. Uh, this tight end, Kylan Granson, really stepped up in his absence after Roberson got hurt last week, so he might be a value play, especially if Roberson is out. Um, but if I'm going after the SMU offenses with Xavier Jones, um, I'm 
I'm going with an Xavier Jones and AJ Dillon type of uh, build, especially at the running back position or specifically at the running back position there. Um, really like those two on FanDuel. Um, at quarterback, Skylar Thompson and Max Dugan are both pretty affordable. Those are guys that kind of open up a path for you to go really expensive um, at, at receiver. And then uh, also I like DeMonte Coxie um, of Memphis on the other side of the SMU Memphis game that he's, you know, the number one receiver for Memphis uh, SMU, a little bit shaky against the pass there. So I think that he's someone that, that I'll be targeting a little bit too. And then Jalen Rager, 7,500, um, just a, a good player uh, in a, in a, streaking TCU offense so maybe he'll be that target for Max Dugan uh, Tay Barber is someone to also consider from that TCU passing game and then applying applying it to both uh, slates love Wandale Robinson on both I think you, he's almost a must play um, especially if he's like they're starting running back again start and is uh, listed as a receiver and I love Kyle Pitts um, of Florida he's kind of He's not as cheap as I would love on on DraftKings, but he's pretty cheap on on FanDuel relative to the to the salary cap seventy two hundred on FanDuel. I think that you know he might might be a little bit more attractive there because he's got more touchdown upside, less like cheap reception type of upside. So that hurts him on DraftKings a little bit. But Kyle Pitts, either way, I think is a matchup problem for Georgia and good play on DFS. Okay, so I'm very excited to talk about this. Yes, uh, this is an annual article that usually comes out around this time every year by Brett McMurphy who uh, used to write for ESPN. He now works for Stadium, who um, used to be 120 Sports. Um, but anyway, that that's all irrelevant, basically, in the grand scheme of things. He did his annual survey where every college football coach in Division One, except for one, which we'll get to, named their favorite musical artist. And uh, you and I took a, a close look at these earlier today. For the most part, I think they line up with about what you'd expect. Not, nothing too crazy. Um but we'll, we'll kind of pick out some of our favorites here. Uh, I should say right away, the unsurprisingly top vote getter was Kenny Chesney, followed by Eric Church, yep. followed by Dave Matthews Band. So that all checks out. Uh, nothing to see there. But a few of these individual ones were, were pretty great. So I'll let you lead it off. Okay. So, yeah, there, there's a lot to, to get into here. At, at first, uh, the all-hair team among coaches, uh, Mike Gundy and Dana Holgerson, all-hair team for, for slightly different reasons, but their commitments to the mullets yep. one way or the other. Um, very inspirational. Both of those guys said Prince. Um, mm-hmm. I was very, very pleased to see that. That that um, I'm already on board with those guys, although Hogo, Hogo's lost me a little bit with the way things have gone at Houston this year um, and some weirdness. But, hey, man, he likes Prince, so he's good with me. Mike Norvell of Memphis being into Tom Petty, uh, that's, a, that's a big plus in my book. Dave Clawson, even though I was ripping on his injury report uh, shenanigans earlier, he does like the talking heads. That was like kind of like the most alt pick of this of the entire oh, yeah. um, coaching group. So I liked that. Um, Les Miles liking Twenty One Savage. I feel like it was a bit maybe a bit of a pander. But when it's when it's Les Miles, you, do you really you, do you think he's up to no good in that sense? Like it would I think be weird if he maybe, didn't say Twenty One Savage. Yeah, I think that that does play um, to his brand. And then uh, all the guys that said uh, George Strait, um, most of them SEC coaches, with yeah. the exception of Tyson Helton over at Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky secretly having a pretty good year this year. So um, I, I think that the, the George Strait uh, crew um, are also the coaches that, mm-hmm. that I can get behind. It, guys that I shook my, I shook my head at, um, Manny Diaz and Dan Mullen, both you know coaches at very swaggy programs in the state of Florida. You too? 
come on. You too. Yeah. That might be the worst pick that, on the entire. Yeah. Yeah. That just, that was so, so bad. We need to talk about Doc Holliday at Marshall, <laughs> who just said he doesn't have a favorite musical act. He, he didn't, it's important to note that he didn't not answer the question. He said, I basically, I don't listen to music. Yeah. Which like, if you look at a picture of this guy, definitely checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I fully believe that this guy has not listened to any music in the last like 10 to 15 years. No, this guy is like the ultimate grumpus and I love him for it. Like he's, he's like, you know, as a baby, they called him doc. I would imagine like yeah. he was probably His born with, doc, yeah. yeah. Like he just, he just exudes not liking music or any sort of frills or fun. Um, he, he believes that like ruffled potato chips are, you know, for commies or something yeah. that, that type of thing. So, uh, the fact that he doesn't like music, uh, it plays, it plays with him. So I thought it was funny. He went to Hurricane High School in Hurricane, West Virginia. Hell that yes. sounds about right. He, he was made to be Marshall's coach then. Yeah. That's um, perfect. Other highlights here. Man, Walt Bell picking Tool. That was pretty, pretty wild. awesome. I know. Like, Walt, Walt Bell, I would have thought, would have been in the less miles because he's, you know, in his early 30s. He's 35. Yeah. So I, I would have thought that he would have gone the, the 21 Savage route, but Tool, all right, fair enough. Um, I like David Shaw, you know, the Stanford coach being into Shaw Day. Um, I, I like to think that, you know, maybe one day when he's like, you know, getting the guys in the in the bus, yep. uh, le- getting getting ready to get off the the bus at like USC or something, and instead of playing the the pump up song, he's just got like some baby making music <laughs> going by mistake. He's like, oh, who who thought of that? And then uh, Nunzio Campanile, the um, interim coach at Rutgers, being a Billy Joel guy, that's so perfect jersey. I think that that response alone should warrant him some consideration to mm-hmm. remain on as the head coach at Rutgers. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, some of these are just, like we said, most of them are just so spot on that they're almost not noteworthy. Um, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of scrolling as we go. A lot of Jay-Z mentions. That's kind of nice to see. Uh, a lot of ACDC. Brent Brennan at San Jose State went Snoop Dogg. That's an interesting one. Um, I, I mean, I need to mention Paul Chris went Phil Vassar, which is... What is that exactly? He's, he's kind of like a lovey country guy. Like... Um, I don't know. Like when I think of Phil Vassar, like my girlfriend in high school's mom loved Phil Vassar and went to like multiple Phil Vassar concerts per year. Got you know, it. Like, oh, you know, okay. So like he's like the darling of like forty to fifty year old Wisconsin mothers, like that type of thing. So that that kind of checks out. Some of his hits include Carlene, American Child, I'll Take That as a Yes, Six Pack Summer. This <laughs> oh, is no. yeah. This is God. She's on her way. And don't miss your life. Okay. So that's, you know, you can kind of just judge by the titles what kind of music we're dealing with there. None of that is surprising. Chip Kelly going Mumford and Sons, obviously. Once again, stuck course. in 2010. Not surprised. Kevin Sullivan went Drake, like that. Maybe a little bit of pandering there, but, you know, still. Um, you'd imagine that some of these guys were just like, like asked one of their young you know like grad assistants like who should i write down for this like what would play well yeah i assume that's what mark stoops did when he went with toby keith (laughs) (laughs) or joe moorhead going notorious big that yeah they'll think i'm cool right that like who's the notorious big again is he the dr dre guy are they the same (laughs) i think he thinks that's rick ross (laughs) oh he is big yeah that's true (laughs) yeah uh, all right. Yeah, I think that that kind of wraps it up. I mean, it's overwhelmingly country music and like 80s rock. Yeah. So, you know, uh, duh. But I, I will be very interested. I, hopefully Brett keeps doing this every year. Like, where are we going to be in, in like the 2035 survey? Yeah, yeah, I really hope to see like what, when people our age are, are becoming yeah college football coaches and yeah the chain smokers, 
Oh, gosh, who else? Fallout Boy. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> not going to be Plan? these guys forever, right? Green Day. Yeah. There, there will be a lot of Green Day, Who's I think. that one? Who's, like, the big country guy now? Who's, like, a, he's like a big guy. Sturgill Simpson? Mm, oh, I don't know who that too, is. He might be too far off the beaten I'm, path. I'm Googling country music man big. <laughs> what is? Oh, Luke Combs came right up. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, I think so, we'll see a lot of Luke Combs in, sure. in 2035. All right. Uh, that'll do it for us. Do you have any parting thoughts? Any predictions you want to throw out? If not, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. Um, I'm just I'm looking at a potentially very uh, great or very bleak weekend as far as football goes. No in between. The, the Georgia-Florida game and then uh, Ravens-Patriots on Sunday night. Um, so it, it could be very, I could be in a cheery mood, uh, come next Wednesday that'll carry me through the rest of the season, or I could just be, uh, you know, we could have the soggy sorrows. Yes. All right. Well, you will hear from me next at 8 30 AM on Sunday when I call you to wake you up for Jags Texans from London. All right. Sounds good, brother.